uh, anything uh, anti-fiat is going to explode. And we're starting to see the explosion. So, I mean, we see it, we see it in gold and silver, especially silver right now. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Hey everyone, it's Regina with the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I am here with my buddy Cyrus. Good morning. And today we are demystifying cryptocurrency. We are going to break it down into bite-sized pieces that everyone can understand. Uh, We're going to talk about how uh, approachable it is now. We're going to go over some technical terms and uh, just uh, want to show you that it is easy to use and everyone can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm pretty excited because this is something that when I first looked into it, it just seemed so far over my head. So simplifying it down is going to be awesome. Yeah. And, you know, the argument for mass adoption has always been there for crypto. How are we going to get mass adoption and move away from monetary uh, fiat systems? Because that's kind of the whole point. And Mm -hmm. I think like the moral to the story is you don't really need to understand the technology. Like, do we really understand how Google works? You know, Google provides a very simple user interface, so we never have to understand the extreme programming behind it. Yeah. So it's kind of the same principle because, I mean, really, like, the technology has gotten so good. The user interfaces now that people have developed is just, like, it's so easy. I mean, we did a transaction the other day, actually. Yeah, it was super simple, and it took, like, I don't Well, I mean, the actual physical side of it took us, like, 30 seconds or something. Yeah, for me to send you money took yeah. 30 seconds. Right. When you look at how you transact money digitally now, it can take days sometimes. It's yeah. crazy that it should take as long as it takes for a bank to transfer money from one account to another account digitally when you're talking about information that travels at nearly the speed of light. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's uh, changing the way we view money and currency, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole, the whole concept of money kind of starts to change when you start using cryptocurrency outside of our, you know, fiat system, our, our slave money system. So it's pretty liberating. It's really fun, actually. Yeah. And I, and I think part of the, part of the mystification of it is that like, we're so used to handling physical money and this is not a physical money and Mm -hmm. most people don't realize that the money that's in their bank account is just a digital money in the same way it's just not as it's not as secure it's not as private you know yeah it's fully centralized so all it takes is for that bank to shut down or have some sort of technical disaster i mean i don't know what their system redundancies are but you know one thing about cryptocurrency is that the blockchain is basically indestructible. So no matter what happens, there is always a transaction record that can never, ever be destroyed. 
which is really a cool concept. I love it. Yeah. So are you saying that like, if there is a a massive loss of electrical power from the power grid, like let's say planet wide, we lose electric power, which I don't know how that could happen, but let's just say it does. And then it may. And then two years later, we finally figure out how to get the power back on, you know, does that mean all of those transactions still exist? They would exist and they would exist because uh, they're stored locally on miners' computers. Like thousands of miners' computers. Yeah. I think we'd have to back up a little bit and talk about the blockchain itself and what the technology is. Okay. So we can all be on the same page with the miners. But before we do that, because I just have something in my head that I just have to get out there, which is a little off topic, but... I was kind of like researching how our tax dollars are being spent, you know, because they take like a huge amount of money from us in uh, income tax, sales tax, payroll tax and whatnots. And I just I was kind of blown away to see that 24 percent of our money is going into the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. So if you make five grand a month and two grand of that is going to taxes, which is that sounds about right. And then out of that two grand, 25%, which is $500, you're literally paying $500 a month to go to the military industrial complex. And you may be feeling like, well, we support our troops. Well, only 5% of that 24% goes to troops in the form of pay, housing allowances, and other benefits. Mm-hmm. The rest is going to military contractors, and the amount of abuse and fraud in military contractors is an extreme problem. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, it just got stuck in my head about how atrocious that is and makes me want to use things like cryptocurrency and alternative currencies so I don't have to fund a military industrial complex that I do not personally agree with morally, legally, etc. Right. So that two months of your income isn't going to pay for the military. Like you work for two months. Isn't that what you had said? Yeah, it says here in this article that the average U.S. taxpayer worked 63 days last year to fund military spending. Only 13 of your days directly supported the troops, while 31 days directly supported private contractors. Four of those days went directly to Lockheed Martin and two went to Boeing. Like, I don't want to work two days of my life to pay for Boeing. Screw them. They're like the filthiest, richest freaking company on the planet. Like, I just want to take back control of my money and where it goes. You know, I'm I'm really sick of just forking over dollars to these frauds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole idea is to be self-sufficient in your finances, you know, like take control of what where your money goes. Like we were talking in the last episode about how ways to avoid letting the government control portions of your money, you know, which, um, yeah. don't forget we've, we've got that PDF 101 ways, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a great, uh, point to talk about it. We've created a PDF, 101 ways to earn money using, uh, counter economics. And that is going to help you keep your hard earned dollars in your pocket 
instead of forking out, I think I calculated to well over 50% through taxation of various degrees of our money goes into taxation. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't give Lockheed Martin four days of your life. That's crazy. No. So over that. So it's a really awesome PDF. Uh, there's really great tips and hacks on what you can do to circumvent uh, getting robbed, basically. And then we go into all sorts of different just little business ideas that you can do uh, as side hustles. You know, you don't have to, you know, leave your W-2 job, but as just get started with side hustles mm-hmm. just to make, just start making those extra dollars and put them in your pocket and cut out the government middleman. Um, it's a really thorough PDF. I'm, I'm really pleased with how it came out, so... All you have to do is go to theoffgridoutpost.com. I've got a banner right on the front page. You just enter in your email address. You get the PDF free download. And by entering in your email address, we may occasionally contact you, letting you know that we have new episodes coming out. We want to start putting together a really informative, entertaining newsletter. So we think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And we are planning on doing an an episode on the military industrial complex, too, and military contractor fraud at some point. So uh, definitely subscribe to our channel so you can hear that episode. It should be really good. Mm -hmm. So back to the blockchain. What is blockchain technology? What do you think it is, Cyrus? (laughs) Um, My best guess is that it is a system... It is a digital system for keeping track of transactions uh, decentralized over several users' computers so that you can't change a transaction without thousands of people knowing you changed the transaction. So it has built-in transparency and can have built-in privacy. That's the best way I can explain it. it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good description. Um, before I get rattling on to what blockchain technology is, I just want to quickly say that I've been involved in cryptocurrency since 2011 actively. Um, anywhere from joining teams, uh, creating altcoins, uh, learning some of the programming, doing active investing. So I would consider myself an OG crypto, which if you're in the crypto scene, you know what that means. I'm not saying I'm some expert. I'm not saying that I have all this massive knowledge, but I know enough to at least inform people fairly well about crypto. So just want to put that out there. But um, so yes, the blockchain is like an actual chain. Like you can think of it as a regular chain and it's a group of transactions that are strung together, uh, much like a ticker tape of a stock like way back in, you know, the 1920s. So it's a linear system and it accounts for every single transaction on the chain. So you can go back in history on the Bitcoin blockchain. You can go to the first transaction of Bitcoin and anyone can. Anyone can download the blockchain. Now, Bitcoin blockchain is like 150 gigs, so it might even be bigger, uh, but it's a very <laughs> it's a very large file, just so you know. But but it's, it's accessible to everybody. It's open source. So then the blockchain is moved forward by cryptocurrency miners, okay? So what a miner does is they have a computer that is set up with hardware that will power 
the blockchain. So they throw their computer power to move the transactions. So think of this as like electricity being used to power the stock ticker tape. You know, the stock ticker machine isn't going to work unless it's powered, right? Well, miners mm -hmm. are that power. Okay. So they're they're basically donating their the computing power of their hardware to uh, calculate these transactions. I don't know. They are getting paid to do it, so there's rewards. So okay, the reason why it's called block is because there's blocks of transactions, right? So one block can have thousands of transactions. The information, and then the miner will receive a reward he will receive a reward for solving that block. And what I mean by solving is the block is encased in a mathematical equation. So the, the miner's computer power, which is mainly the graphics card, is attempting to solve this mathematical equation. Once the mathematical equation is solved, the block is solved and the transactions move forward. It's a strange concept, but it's really, really freaking cool. Because it's basically a massive security layer to uh, use mathematical equations to solve the blocks in order to transact, to uh, keep the transactions going. Once they solve a block, they get a reward. And the reward is And it can be a very large reward. The coin. And yeah. It is in the coin. It is in a cryptocurrency. Yeah. So that's the motivation for miners to mine it's it's a uh, it's a uh, profitable to some degrees and sometimes it's not profitable <laughs> right so it's a risky proposition for a miner yes a miner takes a risk and it really depends on the value of the coin you know when uh, bitcoin goes under six thousand dollars it is unprofitable to mine bitcoin just because of cost of equipment cost of electric bills yes okay Bitcoin mining is not green in any sense of the word. I mean, the amount of electricity right. used and, and the computer hardware used is uh, pretty phenomenal, especially when uh, the difficulty levels increase. So uh, Bitcoin's programming is written to where every so often the difficulty goes up 2x. So now it's going to be twice as hard for miners to mine the blockchain. So now they either need to double their equipment or they have to have more uh, efficient equipment and they're going to get half the rewards. But this is what drives the value of Bitcoin. So then you're like, well, you know, you see Bitcoin's at close to $12,000 right now. And you're like, how the heck does Bitcoin have a value of $12,000? Well, one of that is, one of the reasons is that the difficulty increases. So now less and less yeah. Bitcoins are going to be minted, which creates scarcity, which creates value. So, like, And that's what pushes the miners through. The miners are pushing through because they're always hoping that the value will go up because of increased difficulty, increased scarcity. And in this right. case, it has proved true because, you know, we were at what, 6K, 5K? We're at 12K now. So it's literally doubled. Right. So the, the uh, an analogy would be mining gold. So as... As it mm -hmm. gets harder to find gold and more difficult to mine it, the value of gold goes up. Yeah. Like once you see like mining operations shut down, which we saw with silver, actually, there was a large mining company who shut down because of the Rona. 
You know, you mm-hmm. can't send a bunch of dudes into a mine shaft and, you know, enclose tight space and they're having outbreaks and whatnot. So they just literally shut the silver mine down and shoot, silver went up 10% overnight. Yeah, just basic economics, supply and demand. Yeah, I just want to quickly look up the silver price because to me it's very exciting. Uh, spot price is $29.07. Whoa, that's huge. Mine says 27, 26.92. I don't know what you're looking at, but that's 11%. We had an 11% 24-hour in silver. Yeah, that's awesome. And gold is uh, doing well. It's, you know, silver is outperforming gold, but gold is at $2,043. So we're reaching gold all-time highs. So if you listen to me like two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah, you probably, you made I think money. you would have made like 20% profit. <laughs> yeah i listened to you i'm it's glad still, i did you did yeah. you rose up to the silver challenge i have no doubt that that silver round that i bought is going to double in value in no time oh yeah i think we're gonna see 50 dollars silver very soon i really really do we're heading right for it you know so uh i feel confident i feel confident in that but you know this is not investment advice so right don't spend more than you can't afford to lose it's just what I'm doing. So about the blockchain, let me ask you a question. So one of the problems with the fiat system that we use now is uh, a bank run. So if mm. everyone decides to go grab all of their money out of the bank, the bank can simply just close its doors and not allow you to draw out its money. Or you go to draw it out mm-hmm. and it's just not there. Like the money is it's just not there. So how does the mm-hmm. how does the blockchain and a cryptocurrency on that blockchain compare in a bank run type situation? Well, I guess it depends. Are you wanting to trade your coins into dollars bank run or are you just wanting to have your coins on your person per se? Well, I'm envisioning like a a time after mass adoption. So everyone are everyone's using cryptocurrency i guess maybe there would just be no such thing would there um there really can't be a bank run on cryptocurrency unless you just wanted to put your coins that you own into dollars per se like if you wanted to cash out your cryptocurrency would be the closest thing to it and then that would just let's say i want to i want to take all my cryptocurrency and i want to buy gold it there's no way for it not to be there like nobody can close the door I mean, the oh, price might oh, go no, up. Oh, no, no, no. There's, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, oh, hey, we don't have your Ethereum, basically, is what you're saying. R- right. Yeah. Or the, yeah. or there's not some company, like a bank, who just closes their door so that I'm I'm blocked in some way from getting it. Maybe it's still there, but I just, I can't access it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got what you're saying now. Okay, so basically... Uh, you hold your cryptocurrency in a digital wallet, and there's exchanges that you can hold your cryptocurrency on. So you'll have a wallet on an exchange. So it's like I can trade Bitcoin for Ethereum or Bitcoin into dollars and dollars into Bitcoin, you know, an exchange. Uh-huh. If that exchange were to close, they will give you a time to withdraw your money, your your coins, or they could be nefarious and just close and you have no access to it. So what uh, your best practice is, is to download a local wallet. There's lots of really like good, reputable ones. I could make a list on the episode show notes of wallets that I personally use. 
that uh, I trust and have used for years. And once you have it on your local wallet, no one has access to that fund. So it's like, I'm going to put, I'm going to take my Ethereum. I just bought Ethereum on the exchange because I don't want my money to sit on an exchange. Mm -hmm. I'm going to transfer that Ethereum into my local wallet on my phone. And now I, it's in my possession on my phone. Okay. And if you lose your phone, you're screwed. However, if you're smart, you have backed up your wallet. And if you back up your wallet, then you can access it by downloading that wallet. Like it's on the blockchain. Like that transaction of me moving my coins from the exchange to my wallet, it's on the blockchain. So it's verifiable that this event happened. So all I have to do is get another phone and download the wallet and I'll, I'll have all my coins recovered if you back it up. So yes, technically there could be a kind of a bank run type scenario on an exchange, but they're not going to have the same effect of a bank run because when you move money off the exchange into a local wallet, they charge a small fee. So they're actually going to make money off of you moving your money. Yeah. And so there's also actual physical wallets, right? Like a flash drive. Is that you can do cold storage? Yep, you can cold do cold storage, storage okay. onto a flash drive, like a Trezor, a Trezor wallet. Uh huh. That is a kind of a cool device where you put your money on an actual device, but it's all backed up. It's all it's got massive redundancy. So even if you lost that physical device, as long as you back it up, which is a step you have to take, you are responsible for your coins. As long as you back it up, you can always recover your coins if you lose it. But yes, that is the ultimate cold storage is uh, through like a a device. And if you really, really want to physically store your wallet, you can download your wallet.dat file. And that is the one, that is the only file you need to back up your wallet. It's called wallet.dat. It's in your app data folder. I know I'm getting a little technical here, but it is really, you literally only need one file to recover. Or to own your stuff. Right. So, the, so that's kind of the point. If you are diligent yourself, if you accept responsibility that this is your money and backing it up and all of those, that's your responsibility. As long as you do your due diligence on your end, you can never really lose that money. Well, it's just like owning physical silver and gold. It is your responsibility to protect it. You are no longer right. centralized and using the centralized banking system. So... There is nobody but you to be responsible for your money. And for me, I like that. I mean, yes, it is a great responsibility, yes. but but that's but that's freedom. My responsibility. Yeah, exactly. With great freedom comes great responsibility or something. <laughs> yeah. To quote think, Spider-Man's uncle. Or wait, no, great power. Yeah. <laughs> power. Yeah, it was power, but I think freedom kind of works in that as well. Right. I mean, that is if you truly want freedom, real freedom, then it also means you truly want responsibility because they're the same yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I think I pulled uh, you off on some tangents. Of, you were going through. No, I think that, no, I think we're good. Go ahead and ask me the question you wanted to ask me. I think this is a good time to inject that. Uh, you hear a lot of times that cryptocurrency is the digital version of gold, and so mm-hmm. gold has an intrinsic value, like it's useful in lots of different ways. There's intrinsic value that makes it worth something. Why do people yeah. compare cryptocurrency to gold? What is the intrinsic value of cryptocurrency? Uh, that's a really good question. And I think people maybe have a hard time wrapping their mind around uh, comparing a digital item to an actual physical item. 
but there are parallels and cryptocurrency it is digital gold and i'm going to tell you why awesome the first reason is because it has no borders it operates beyond the fiat system just like gold and silver do right so i can go to zimbabwe or south africa with a piece of gold and people will gladly take that for money yeah right i can go to zimbabwe or south africa with a bitcoin and people will gladly take that for money okay so it has no boundaries that's one thing cryptocurrency it's completely uh decentralized so decentralization of a money system it's just massively powerful right Right. We can all agree on that. And essentially, the the decentralization occurs because there are miners mining the blockchain like we discussed before. Right. The more miners you have, the more decentralized the coin. So in a central system like the Fed, Mm -hmm. if the Fed went down in smoking flames like that's kind of it. Like if our monetary system fails in America, like that's it for the dollar. But with a decentralized cryptocurrency system, we can have half of the miners fall out, you know, due to whatever disaster, natural disaster, or they stop mining or whatever. And we still are moving the blockchain. Right. So, you know, when you look at uh, Bitcoin, we have tens of thousands, 50,000, a hundred thousand miners. I don't know how many, but there's, thousands upon thousands of people mining Bitcoin. It, it just makes it to where the blockchain will always move unless every single freaking miner just decided to disappear off the face of the earth and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so you're talking about the centralized fiat currency, like the Fed, for example, because it's centralized, they can manipulate that currency at will. Whereas yes, and with the cryptocurrency... Because of all the different miners, it can't be manipulated in that way, right? That is correct. I guess it could be manipulated if large holders get together and all decide to buy or sell at the same time. They can manipulate the price that way. But that but that still is market freedom, though, right? It's free market. It, it removes the single point of power. So with Bitcoin, Ethereum, any coin... Technically, not any coin, but, you know, the big the big ones. I call them blue currents or blue ribbon cryptos, you know, your your prime yeah. cryptos. There is no leader. OK, there's no one, two, three or four leaders. It is fully decentralized among thousands and thousands of miners. So sometimes you need to make a decision. You know, sometimes you have to make a decision to do upgrades to the system You may want to go from proof of work to proof of stake. There's always like choices that have to be made, you know, just like they make choices for our, our dollars, you know, Mm -hmm. there has to be choices. So instead of a leader making a choice, they have what is called consensus. Okay. That is how that works. And consensus is by no means perfect, but I think it's far better than a central fiat system. Yeah, for sure, because, you know, at least with a consensus system among, and this is, when you say a consensus system, the consensus is uh, through the miners, is that right? Yes. Okay, so not every individual holder of a Bitcoin, it's the miners who make these decisions, right? The miners who are moving the blockchain. 
Yes. Right. Okay. And I mean, so, anyone, yeah, anyone can be a minor. If you want to vote in it, you know, you can become a minor. It's actually really not that hard. It's, you just uh, got to get Bit- a computer, Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is a little tough because it's hardware and the difficulty's gone up. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't really suggest per se becoming a Bitcoin miner, but Ethereum is moving to proof of stake and and proof of stake is using uh, software power instead of hardware power to move the blockchain. And you can be involved in that way easier. So uh, it's just going to make Ethereum like it's getting to mass adoption. It's really, really exciting. It's probably the closest we've been to mass adoption is is Ethereum moving to proof of stake. And we can talk about proof of stake later. I want to talk more about consensus. Okay. And I don't understand, like, I just want to make it clear that I don't really quite understand how consensus works. I, I get it, like, on the level that I need to get it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, but in order to achieve consensus, there must be a 51% agreement, at least. Yeah. So if there's an argument among programmers, you know, let's say there's an argument among programmers, there's an argument among uh, the miners and stuff. Uh, consensus is 51%. Yeah. So 51% of miners have to vote to push it through. That's still a much better system than a handful of people at the top dictating the value of our current fiat currency. It, it definitely is. However, I do want to say that, you know, there are flaws within consensus so large groups of miners, they join, they make mining pools, right? So now mm-hmm. you have these massive mining pools that are forming an alliance. And this massive mining pool can decide, you know, we are voting this way on this coin. So it, it can become manipulated with alliances with miners. Yeah, where they're all joining together to turn their individual influence into a collective influence. I mean, you're always going to have that yes. in society. It, that's just like a natural progression of, you know, humanity, I think. Right. But here's... So it's still better than a centralized system. Yeah. And here's the great thing. So you're part, you own a bunch of a certain cryptocurrency, whatever it is. And then this cryptocurrency goes in a direction that maybe you don't agree with. Well, it's not like the U.S. government, where the U.S. government says, this is your currency. This is the only one we're allowed to use. You can sell all of that crypto and get another crypto. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can you can choose to get out of it. And so I want to talk about the uh, Bitcoin cash split Mm -hmm. from Bitcoin, because it's a really great example of consensus and potential nefarious takeover of coins. So, and I don't know all the dirty details, uh, but it was very, like, it was a big drama in the crypto scene. And uh, a bunch of miners were just like, we don't, we don't agree with Bitcoin, like classic in the way it's being run and who's in, not necessarily who's in charge, but who is, you know, behind all of it, blah, blah, blah. They're having like, they were just having issues with the, the core of Bitcoin. So they decided that they are going to split away from Bitcoin and create a new coin called Bitcoin Cash. What they did is they forked they forked the coin. So this is like a really interesting, fun nuance of crypto is if you don't like it, you just fork the coin and make your own coin. Because it's all open source, right? Yeah, it's all open source. So basically what they did is they think of it as a train track. Everyone's going down the same train track. But then a group of miners isn't happy with the way things are going. They are now going to split the train track to their own offshoot. Mm -hmm. Or I guess a tree would be a better analogy, like a tree trunk. They're going to split the tree trunk into its own branch. 
and make their own chain of Bitcoin. The only, uh, really the nefarious part of it is they wanted their chain of Bitcoin to be the the Bitcoin. So they almost succeeded in in forking Bitcoin and being the Bitcoin. But basically the exchanges and all the users agreed. It's like, you can't just fork Bitcoin and, and make it Bitcoin. (laughs) you've just i mean you've made another coin bitcoin still exists and bitcoin cash i mean it's got a lot of value but it's like a few hundred dollars as opposed to you know twelve thousand so clearly they failed at their scheme right and so that that's a good example of the free market dictating the value of a coin like a bunch of people within that market decided no this is this is what we want and so bitcoin won out over bitcoin cash if I'm understanding you correctly. Yep. That's okay. absolutely correct. Bitcoin Cash is uh, trading at $300 right now, and Bitcoin is trading at 11500 So we can see where, you know, they can see where the majority has ended up. But they right. did do a very serious attempt to take over Bitcoin, and they were very, very close to succeeding. It's just a very, that was interesting. If they had succeeded, it would have been because that's what the market wanted. Yep. And but obviously that's not what the market wanted. No, they, people would be using Bitcoin exact same. People would really honestly probably have no idea. It would just be on a different chain because it was yeah. a hard fork. So it's a duplicate. So we would be none the wiser if, unless you wanted to study it. Mm. Uh, so there's one final note I want to make about uh, forking, which is really, 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 really fun. So when you fork a coin, so when Bitcoin got forked into Bitcoin Cash you get a one-to-one ratio of any holdings you have in Bitcoin in Bitcoin Cash. So basically, like, I mean, it has to happen. You can't just have everyone be at zero Bitcoin Cash because it's all, all all the transactions are registered on the blockchain. You have to keep that blockchain going, right? You can't just erase the history. So if you were holding one Bitcoin at the time of the fork, you now have one Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. And like people made shit tons of money off of it. So is that comparable to like a a stock split? Um, probably not. I don't know what a stock split is first off, and I don't know if they one to one on a stock split. Is stock splitting even a thing? Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure, but I think you lose value like well, I probably shouldn't talk about it because I I don't know enough about it, but um yeah, like well, I probably just shouldn't talk about it. I'd be talking out of my ass. So. <laughs> There's really nothing you can conta- compare a cryptocurrency hard fork to, I think, in the financial sector. All I know is that every time a coin forks, you get the one-to-one. And sometimes it's like one to point five. So the programming can be a little bit different, but you're going to get that new a part of that new coin. So then there was the age of cryptocurrency forking events, which is a very stressful for exchanges because they actually have to close. They have to um, put the blockchain on maintenance mode. And it's like a lot of programming, you know, to like handle these forks. But there was like this massive forking era where. Bitcoin was forked into Bitcoin gold and Bitcoin silver and Bitcoin private. And so it was an investing opportunity because, you know, like for Bitcoin gold, it's like it got hyped up, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're forking Bitcoin gold. We're forking Bitcoin gold. This is the fork date. So it drives up the price 
of Bitcoin because people are buying Bitcoin to get the Bitcoin to get the Bitcoin gold to one be to a part one, of the fork. right? Yeah. So if you're a yeah. smart investor, you're just like, okay, I know that like I'm gonna buy into Bitcoin now. It's gonna drive the price up, and then right before the fork, or like right after the fork, people are gonna sell. You know, because they're gonna get that. It's like a timestamp on the on the fork. It happens at a certain block. Okay, at this block, yeah. the fork is going to happen. So then it happened to a bunch of like altcoins too. So Bitcoin's not the greatest example because Bitcoin does hold a very nice value. It didn't really dump like crazy after forking. But like, let's say you just take a random altcoin. Well, this altcoin is going to fork because these people want to have their own chain and they don't agree with these people. So we're forking. You can now purchase this altcoin. The altcoin price is going to become inflated. The coin forks. The altcoin price dumps. You now have your new coin. You sell off your new coin because that price is going to spike immediately, but then it's going to dump. So it's like you can use this forking events as uh, investing crazy, risky investing. (laughs) Right. High risk, high reward. Yeah. And trust me, people win and lose trying to chase these crazy events. But uh, forking is really fun. I love forking. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to leave that alone. Yeah. Moving forward. <laughs> so what other topics do we have here? For me, when I looked at crypto a long time ago, I chose not to get involved because of usability. Yeah. Can you, can you liber- uh, elaborate a little bit on how much more usable coins are now? than they were 10 years ago or just five years ago, probably. It's probably easier to use by a thousand percent. Right. I mean, developers have really gone the extra mile. Like there's so many like cool utilities you can use that are easy to use. You know, the main stickler is when you send crypto, from one wallet to another, just make sure you have your wallet address correct. You know, that's probably your biggest downfall is if you accidentally put in the wrong wallet address. Or probably what would be easier to do is to send the wrong Bitcoin to the wrong coin. So like I have a Bitcoin address and I want to send Bitcoin from me to you, but you accidentally Uh give me your Ethereum address. Uh And I'm like, shoot, I just sent it to the wrong address. Now the coins are lost forever. So yeah, your highest risk is probably just sending it to the wrong wallet address, sending it to the wrong coin address, such as if I sent you Bitcoin, but you accidentally gave me your Ethereum address. Right. But uh, platforms are getting really good about saying this address doesn't look right or this is not a Bitcoin address. Uh, So there's actually like you'll get little warnings, you know, that something doesn't look right. Um, another downfall would be sending it to a scam. You know, you want to make sure when you download a wallet, when you use an exchange, you want to research, do your own research, D-Y-O-R. Make sure that these are legit, you know, check reviews, check download numbers. If you are downloading a popular wallet onto your phone, there should be hundreds of thousands of downloads, possibly millions. So, you know, you just have to do your own freaking research. Like no one's going to protect you or save you. If you're a dumbass and you lose your coins, that's on you. Like, there's no foolproof like the bank. 
you know, and also a, another side of usability is actually just being able to purchase things. So, you know, in the beginning, Bitcoin was really just traded between people like an investment more than anything else. Very few people, well, the people that used it were so few and far between that it just wasn't really usable as a currency. But now, yeah. like PayPal, you can use Bitcoin to buy things with PayPal and you can use PayPal to purchase things nearly anywhere. You are starting to see usability really picking up because it's uh, getting mass adopted by credit card processors, by money processors. So I know that Visa said they're uh, now deciding to go forward with mass adoption uh, of crypto integrated into Visa. Um, there's cards that have come out and are it's still cryptocurrency debit cards are really going to be landing here within the next year or two. They've been working on it for years and years and there's been pre signups where basically you have a debit card, you have an app that tells you what your, your cryptocurrency is worth and you can spend it just like you would a bank debit card. And it'll do all right. the calculations and everything for you, you know, real time. So you don't have to try, oh, I need 0.052 Ethereum to buy this candy bar. No, it's going to just figure it out for you. It just, no, right, does all the math. So we're really, yeah, we're really on the cusp of usability for mass adoption. We've already got Bitcoin ATMs. I've never used one yet. I'm going to try because... In Houston, a couple hours from me, there's like 25 Bitcoin ATMs. So I want to see how that all works. I'll have to make a little video of it. Uh, we've got uh, online platforms where you can pay in cryptocurrency. I actually just bought another round of gold and silver in cryptocurrency. That was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And so usability has just gone way up and it's just going to continue to go way up. And so that, that brings up a couple of different points I'd like to touch on. And if I say anything that's incorrect, I want you to jump in. But yeah, uh, so Bitcoin is really usable right now, but it is not a private coin, right? That is like correct. It's not fully private. If you own Bitcoin, the government own, knows you own Bitcoin. And if they haven't already, they're trying to figure out how to tax you on it. Well, America, American government. America, is, okay. Uh, yeah, the Know Your Customer KYC, which is, you know, a regulation that is used on the stock market. They enforced onto uh, American cryptocurrency markets that in order to trade X amount, in order to really use a, an exchange to make dollars into coins, that you have to provide your ID, your social security number, and verify your uh, identification, basically. And then what happens is... You get assigned a wallet address, and then I use that wallet to move money to another wallet to move money to another wallet. Well, it's all still traceable back to that single beginning event of where I put dollars into cryptocurrency. That was just a point I wanted to bring up. There is a difference in crypto coins. Some of them are private. Some of them are not. Yes. And so from in the... privacy, privacy in the sense of untraceable doesn't mean your dollars to coins is untraceable. But you can move those coins into a private coin like Monero is a big one. Right. Komodo, Zcash. Now, they have an extra layer of privacy, and I really don't understand the technology. All I know is that you can move money from wallets to wallets basically untraceable. 
are very extremely difficult to trace. Like the amount of resources it would take to reverse engineer transactions with a privacy coin would not be worth the government spending the money on it. And so I kind of am looking at Bitcoin as an agorist, the way that I look at a check right now. So when I convert, if someone writes me a check and I convert that into cash right now, it's traceable at that point only. So at that person's bank, the government knows I cashed a check, but that's it. What I do with that yeah. cash after that, the government can't track. If you use a private coin, yeah, yeah. You'd have to use a private coin because it's still traceable wallet to wallet in crypto. Okay, okay. okay. Wallet numbers to wallet numbers. So, for example, like, I turn dollars into coins at Coinbase, okay? Coinbase is the hugest, easiest platform to use for American users to make dollars into coins. Uh, it's fairly expensive, their transaction fees, I feel, are ridiculously high. And it's a know your customer. It's a KYC. So they know they know who I am. They have my social. They have my ID and on file. All right. What pisses mm -hmm. me off is that Coinbase actually sold out to the government and there is a data collection. Now they're collecting data on their users and giving it to the government. This is a... Uh, I've got to get away from Coinbase if I want to do any serious investing. You know, because right. now it's like... I feel like my privacy is just getting violated on Coinbase and I don't know all the exact details of like what went down. All I know is it's not good. Yeah. So now I am developing a system, how to move dollars into coins completely anonymously. I'm working on it. Yeah. That was my next point was that with, with mass adoption naturally is going to, there's going to be, some loss of privacy in certain sections of that mass adoption. And that's what I wanted yeah. to bring up was that we're going to soon be coming out with something that is going to be like a step-by-step -step how to, how to move your money around so that you can turn it into an anonymous money. Yeah. Completely anonymous money moving. So like when I sent you that Ethereum the other day, so my dollars went into the exchange and those dollars turned into Ethereum. So that's a traceable event. Right. And then I move that Ethereum to my Ethereum wallet. That's a traceable event from numbers to numbers. Then I move that Ethereum into your wallet. You're not traceable. Your Ethereum wallet is untraceable. It's just okay. a number. No one has any freaking idea who I sent that Ethereum to. Like you can trace my end of it because of Coinbase and turning dollars into Ethereum, but you can't trace you unless you linked that address into turning Ethereum into dollars through a KYC exchange. So in order for me to turn that Ethereum into a dollar anonymously, there's going to be a few more steps for me to do that, That which is the part yeah. that you're working on. That's, that's what I'm working on. I, I want to develop a fully autonomous system of anonymity. Anonymity. And anonymity. Anonymity. <laughs> is he an enemy? <laughs> right. a full fully anonymous system and i have some good ideas and you can google it and you know it'll give you the oh here's your top ways to move cryptocurrency anonymously but there's not like any really like well-developed like legit system that i found just with a quick crypto search i'm sure i could deep dig but yeah i'm gonna figure it out and i have a feeling it's gonna be through uh, personal transactions and um, 
uh, possibly Bitcoin ATMs. I don't know. I have some ideas rolling around. Yeah, well, that's definitely something that we're going to come up with for sure. Uh, because Yeah, you know, I'm excited it, about it. Because agorism is a big part of our whole thing. So, And anonymity is a big part of agorism. So that's just something yeah. that we've got to solve. And the other thing I wanted to bring up about w- with mass adoption is once coins get to the point where they are being used by everyone, the really opportune time to get in to cryptocurrencies is before that happens, right? Yeah. Because the value will go up so much higher after that point, after mass adoption. Well, personally, I'm not selling my crypto into dollars. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if I wanted to purchase something and that it just made more sense to use uh, the value that I had in cryptocurrency in the same way that if I have uh, some silver coins, mm-hmm. the, I can envision times where I would use a silver coin to do it. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you need to do it, you need to do it, you know. Yeah. If you need to spend your money, you need to spend your money. Um, the way I see it, and this is my own just kind of personal view, is uh, anything uh, anti-fiat is going to explode. And we're starting to see the explosion so, I mean, we see it, we see it in gold and silver, especially silver right now, just because a gold to silver ratio was so bad for silver, it's finally catching up to the proper gold to silver ratio. So silver's just taking off. And I think we've got a long way to go with gold and silver. We're going to be seeing some serious price action to the upside. Uh, same with cryptocurrencies, especially. So I'm like really bullish on Ethereum. And mm-hmm. the really the reason I'm bullish on Ethereum is, well, there's a few reasons, but probably the biggest reason right now is that Ethereum is going to fork. Yay. And it is moving to a proof of stake system. What's exciting about a proof of stake system is that instead of using hardware to mine, which is expensive, it is not green, it is, you know, more or less harmful to the planet or whatever, uh, it will be moving to a software system. So you will hold a certain amount of coins. In this case, it's 32 Ethereum. You will hold those coins in your wallet and you will receive a dividend type payment, a stake back to you, which is gonna be around the 6% APR. So you hold 32 Ethereums in your wallet, you're gonna earn interest. So when you say you hold 32, that's just the minimum? The min- yes, the minimum is 32. So if you're if you're okay. holding less than 32, you will be joining a proof of stake mining pool where you allot your Ethereum to a pool. They take a teeny percentage of the service, you know, the mining, the pool service. So you can still be a part of it, even if you have one Ethereum or a half Ethereum. Right. <clears throat> so it's going to be much more efficient than proof of work. It's going to be faster. The blockchain will move faster than proof of work. It is going to be less resource intensive than proof of work. You will be getting a reward for holding your coins in your wallet and staking, which creates an incentive for big uh, financial institutions to hold massive amounts of cryptocurrency to give their uh, shareholders a stake. Like it's a tremendous move by Ethereum. It's so exciting. And I feel like 
it's just going to keep driving the value up. It was supposed to happen in July. They moved the date to like December of 2020 for the hard fork to be implemented. Um, but it's probably one of the most exciting moves in crypto, like in a long time. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll do an episode between now and then that's more geared specifically toward that event. Yeah. And I also really want to like dive deep and hard into central decentralized finance, DeFi movement, Uh which is basically crypto banks, decentralized crypto banks. Right. And uh, that's why you're seeing these massive crypto rallies right now is because this is the newest, latest invention in the cryptocurrency space is decentralized finance banking. So basically, like just to give you a quick rundown, like I move 10 Ethereum to a platform that I trust. They will loan me money in a collateralized loan against that Ethereum. So now it's like, I don't want to sell my Ethereum, you know, like I bought my Ethereum at like, I don't know, 200 bucks. So I don't want to sell it, but I need money. So now they're going to let me take a loan out on that Ethereum in U.S. dollars right? as a collateralized loan. And I can cash out that Ethereum at the price it is when I choose to cash it out. And they just take a small portion of interest. Right. That's kind of like the essential of decentralized finance. That's really pretty exciting what's on the horizon with that. Because basically you, you become your own banker. Yes, it's decentralized banking essentially. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The crypto scene's becoming a formidable force against centralized systems. So I think we're going to be seeing like massive regulatory events happening because they can't stop it. You cannot stop blockchain. You cannot kill blockchain. The only way you kill blockchain is if everybody abandons the coin and miners decide not to mine it and stakers decide not to stake it. And that's another argument for proof of stake. It's like, no one's going to just stop staking their coins. Like, not everyone's going to stop staking their coins. They're getting a return on their investment. Right. You know, you cannot stop blockchain. It's a more a formidable force, and the government knows this. So instead of stopping it, they're just going to try and regulate the shit out of it. But believe you me, I will have a way around regulations. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's all really, really exciting to me. Yeah, I'm super excited. And, you know, we haven't even talked about and probably don't even have time to talk about at this point, ways in which you can earn cryptocurrencies, like as an income, as a job, as how you get paid, you know, shifting from cash to crypto is, I mean, that's going to be my next step. And I don't know how long it'll take me, but, you know, cash is the U.S. fiat currency cash that i'm using it's uh mm-hmm. it's got a leg in the coffin you yeah know? It so does. i i'm i want to move out of that and at some point it would be nice to just be uh my entire life is geared around cryptocurrency yeah and uh there are people that are doing that already yeah it's just it's just becoming bigger and bigger and better and stronger and you know for me like the one piece of advice that I freely give is diversify your dollars now before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Whether it's cryptocurrency, gold and silver, ammunition, food storage, heirloom seeds, like start buying commodities that have real values to human beings. Right. Because fiat at this point, the only reason it has any value is faith. Right. And that faith is starting to get lost 
quickly. Yeah, and especially the dollar. I mean, the the dollar is especially vulnerable at this time because there are, you know, we kind of talked about how China is kind of going after the dollar. So there's there's intent behind destroying the dollar, and it's it's inevitable. Well, yeah. The, the dollar is a, the world reserve currency. The dollar is uh, the petrodollar. There are many reasons other countries would want to remove the dollar from those standings. And they're starting to move in on that yeah. rapidly. And I really can't help but feel that there is a scheme that all the governments are in to remove the dollar as the world reserve. Yeah, you I know, totally Our agree. governments are not naive. They play the dumb card. That's the best card that's the best hand they have, the dumb card. But mm-hmm. they're all they're all uh, in it together, creating a new world system while all this crap goes down around us. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I just want to remind our audience to check out our one hundred and ways one hundred and one ways to make money. We had to have have one more than a hundred. <laughs> right. <laughs> one hundred and one ways to make money by utilizing counter economics and agorists' approach. You will find it very informative, and it will get your creative juices flowing. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, it really it came out to be a pretty comprehensive list of a wide variety of ideas, like in so many different areas. It's really pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Definitely things that you probably haven't thought of. Uh, you can download this at theoffgridoutpost.com right off the main page. Uh, you can also leave us a voice message if you'd like to comment about today's episode or if you have questions. You can leave us a voice message. The link is in the show notes. You can also email us at theoffgridoutpost at gmail.com. Also, if you don't mind leaving a review on whatever uh, platform you're using, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatnot, a review helps us get uh, found and more visible. So it would really help out the show, and we really hope uh, you're enjoying our content. Yeah, I, it would suck if we we're just talking to each other all the time for no reason. I, I think we are a little bit, but <laughs> well, <laughs> slowly it, we're we're gaining traction. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we started with we're zero listeners, traction. like everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there slowly but surely. You know, grassroots style. Yeah, and it's been a lot of fun, and we're talking about things that not a lot of people are talking about them, and they need the things we're talking about need to be said, so that's why we're doing it. Yeah, I think it'd be a shame to not record our conversations. Yeah. To be honest. Sweet. Well, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, talk to y'all later. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. I just really feel that humans are not supposed to live like we live being controlled and being told what we can and cannot do and when you start doing things to step outside of that control it just feels really good it feels natural thanks for listening to the off-grid outpost podcast if you enjoyed the show don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes